Good morning. morning. You guys hear me okay? Uh, I was asked by the elders to uh, share my testimony and uh, humbled and and honored to do that. Um, (laughs) Mine's a little colorful and uh, a little nervous. It's kind of an understatement. (laughs) But uh, I'm also reminded by 2 Corinthians 5.17 where it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. Um, Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we come into your presence and uh, we're just awed by you, Father, your awesome power and your grace and your love. And just thank you for this time together. And uh, I'm just humbled that that I have this story. And I thank you for everything you've done in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, my story starts with my biological father. Uh, my first memory of him was uh, I was about four, four or five, and uh, we were on the freeway. He was screaming at my mom, and <clears throat> I don't know how fast we were going, but she was going to bail out of the car. And I just remember my sister and I looking at each other in just complete fear. And that's kind of how our life was, just in fear of him. Um, there was never any, any love or joy in our home and and then uh, I came home from school in fifth grade and uh, there was a note my mom had given me from him that said he was leaving or that he had left us and it was a weird feeling I uh, I was glad you know that he was gone because he was such a you know a monster but at the same time I, w- I was sad because it was my father and I was very uh, confused and uh, the end of the school year, I, um, <clears throat> I got a letter from him, and he had asked me to come live with him. And I was terrified, <laughs> to say the least. But at the same time, um, I, was, I, I was hopeful. I thought that maybe, you know, if it was just the two of us, you know, there was a chance that, uh, you know, he would, he could love me, you know, if just him and I, without any distractions, you know, it would be okay. And, um, that didn't turn out to be the case. Um, it was a rough year. Um, more verbal abuse than physical abuse, um, except for the occasions when he would get drunk and a little violent. But at the end of the school year, it got really bad. And uh, he beat me pretty bad. And um, I was able to get a hold of my aunt. My sister was able to get a hold of my aunt who arranged for me to fly back to California. And uh, I was excited to come back home um, Whenever it was my sister and I and the three of us together, I always felt safe. We were kind of like the three musketeers. And in my mind, on that trip back home, I, had, uh, I, was, I was excited because I knew it would be the three of us. It would be like it used to be, and, um, and I would be safe. And so I had all these dreams and aspirations. I was going to do good in school. I was going to start seventh grade. I was going to play football. And I was just really excited. I just had... I had these, you know, my young dreams, and um, I got home, and it was just nothing like I thought it was going to be. My mom didn't, she lived, uh, she lost the house because my dad had taken everything. He even took her car. He left her with just nothing, no money, no anything. So now we were living in this kind of rundown apartment, and we didn't really have um, a lot of things. Sometimes we had electricity, sometimes we didn't. Sometimes we had a phone, sometimes we didn't. And uh, So I got a job selling candy door to door and a paper route just so I could kind of, my mom wouldn't have to worry about like 
you know, buying food and my clothes, and I just wanted to help out any way I could. And um, um, there was a, a couple weeks before seventh grade, um, there was this incident <clears throat> one night with one of her boyfriends, and he, I guess he thought I was my sister because he came to my room and there was a little bit of inappropriate touching and we both kind of freaked out and he went away. And that next morning, I remember, um, I just felt just lost um, and alone. And uh, it was, it's an indescribable feeling. I just, everything, at that very moment, I knew that I couldn't trust anybody um, I had no one. Um, any dreams that I had were just shattered. And uh, it was soon after that that I just kind of started hanging out with the wrong crowd and started selling drugs and doing drugs. And, you know, this was two weeks into seventh grade. I really didn't even go to school that much. And, um, and that was it. My, uh, <clears throat> I thought it was, you know, money that, you could buy a life if you made enough money, you know, you could buy happiness if you made enough money. And so that was my, that was my thing. I just thought I would, I would just sell more drugs, make as much money as I can and, and just buy happiness that way. And uh, I hung out with a really bad crowd, a lot of violence, a lot of fighting and, and uh, other things that I'm not very proud of. Um, and then by 10th grade, I got into a serious situation where I almost killed a man, and my mom, uh, I was forced to go live with my dad again because my mom was in fear for my life. It was a gang member that lived in our neighborhood. And, uh, I, I, to this day, I really don't know if I killed him or not. Um, and it's something I have to live with. But um, So my mom moved me out. I had to go live with my dad. That lasted about six months. And uh, <clears throat> he got drunk and got crazy. and. This time I was bigger, so I was able to fight back for a little bit, and then he threw me through a sliding glass door, and it was after that that I just packed my stuff and I left, and I made my way back to California. And when I came back, uh, my mom was still struggling. Um, she was homeless for a little bit, and so I kind of lived with friends or stayed at motels, and soon started selling cocaine and heroin, and, uh, and that was my life. And um, I did that <clears throat> for about 13 years. Um, I bought and sold everything you could imagine, drugs, guns, whatever. Um, and finally I got arrested about 13 years later. I was 29. I got arrested in Long Beach and um, I, I, I bailed out and I was fighting my case. I was gonna beat my case. I was looking at 15 years, but um, during, due to a lot of circumstances, um, I was gonna win. And it was gonna take about a year to fight it, but I was gonna win. And I didn't realize it at the time, but God had his hand on me then. And uh, I got arrested again in another county, in Orange County, which completely blew my case out of the water. And I had to go and talk to my lawyer and tell him, well, I got arrested again in Orange County. He said, well, we have to take a deal we have to get you a deal because otherwise you will get the full 15 years and you're gonna to go to prison on top of whatever you're gonna get with this other case, which would have been about 12 years. 
So altogether, I was looking at about 27 years in prison. <laughs> so uh, we kept going back and forth with the DA, and he ended up getting me a really good deal. He said if I pled guilty to three felony counts of possession with intent to distribute, they'd only give me eight months. So we jumped on it. And uh, it was while I was in LA County, I'd been in for about two weeks, and somebody had given me this little New Testament Bible, the Gideon New Testament Bible, and it had Psalms and Proverbs in it. And it's funny because before that, I couldn't stand Christians. I hated you people. <laughs> I thought you were living in a fairy tale. I didn't believe any of that stuff. Um, I didn't know joy. I didn't know love. I didn't, and I just thought it was a fantasy. And uh, I knew darkness. I knew violence. Um, I, uh, this person that you see standing here is not the person <laughs> that I was 17 years ago. I was not, um, I was crazy. Um, anyway, I, uh, I started thumbing through this Bible and it didn't really make sense to me, like reading the gospel, but I would, I understood Psalms and Proverbs and I, I think it was through that that I started to understand God's love and I started to believe it and, um, the very first prayer I ever prayed, the first prayer ever in my life, I was sitting in my cell and I just closed my eyes and I said, God, if you're real and I ever decide to go back to my old way of life, I want you to do whatever you have to do to stop me, amen. So about two days later, I met some guy who was from the same area that I was and we knew some of the same people and uh, so he knew, you know, what I was all about. And he said, hey, when you get out of here, if you ever want to make like five, ten grand a week, why don't you come work with me? He wrote his number down in the back of my Bible, and I just <clears throat> didn't really give it that much thought. But a few days later, I was lying in my bunk, and I was thumbing through my Bible. And I thought, well, when I get out of here, and I thought I was going to do it like half time, like four months. I'm probably the only person in the history of all of LA County Jail that did all their time plus four days. God, God knew I needed all that time. But um, <laughs> even the guards were like, Knights, why are you still here? But um, I, uh, I was lying there and I, I, I thought, when I get out of here, I'm not going to have any money. I can't call my mom. Um, and I... I went to the back of the Bible, I looked at this guy's number, and I said, you know what, I will call him. I'll make a quick five, ten grand in a week, which will give me enough money to get an apartment, get a car, kind of get myself back on my feet, and then I'll stop. No sooner did I make that decision did this whole series of events take place. It was incredible what God did. Um, the next thing you know, I'm, I, I got moved out of my cell. I got moved upstairs to what they call the 9,000 floor, which is no place to be if you're a white guy in LA County Jail. You are going to fight. And I was nuts. And I got into a situation where I was going to take on about half the room, these Mexicans that tried to steal my stuff. And so the guards had moved me out before it got too crazy because I was ready to take on everybody. And uh, then from there, <clears throat> I got moved to um, a gang module. In LA County, what they do with certain gangs is they have to separate them from other gangs, other neighborhoods. And so they have their own separate areas. And it's 
basically the basement of LA County Jail. It is a very dark and dank looking place. It's scary there, especially if you're white. <laughs> um, because it's all Mexican street gangs. And uh, they threw me in there as a punishment. And I got beat um, really, really bad. I thought for sure I was gonna die in there. And um, because they had beat me so bad, then I heard some whispering that they were gonna get me again tonight. We're gonna get that white guy tonight. He kicked me because I had to start fighting them off. Well, I was able to get <clears throat> the cop to see me because I was just covered in blood. My face was swollen, my eyes were swollen shut. And he saw me and he, he asked what happened and I told him I'd fallen off my bunk and I'm not gonna rat, you know. And so the next thing you know, he gets me to the doctor, the doctors give me some ice, new shirt, and they send me back to where I had originally come from. And I was sitting in this shower area now, and I was just so disoriented, and I thought I still had like my bag of commissary candy and whatnot, I didn't have any of that stuff. And the only thing I had left on me was my Bible. And I remember pulling it out, and I was just staring at it. And then I remembered that first prayer that I ever prayed was, if I ever decide to go back to my old way of life, I want you to do whatever you have to do to stop me, right? And then I remembered my conscious decision to go back out one more time. And then that's when all these things started happening. And then I got beat up and I got sent to this really dark place. So now here I am sitting there and I just remember looking up and it's like, is this <laughs> an answer to that prayer? Are you trying to show me something? And I really believe that he was. And then the next thing you know, I'm in this cell. And in LA County Jail, if you're in a four-man cell, it's so overcrowded. And even back then, this was 1986, um, even back, or 1996, um, it was so overcrowded that if you're in a four-man cell, there's normally a fifth guy on the floor. And I get sent to this cell where there's only one guy in it. And I remember he was a Mexican, fully tatted, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, not another you know, gang member, you know. <laughs> but he was reading a, a book, and I remember making my bed, and I'm sitting there now just holding this Bible, just staring at it. And I'm looking at him, and I could, he was like holding his book, and he had tattoos, of, and I noticed they were scripture, like scripture and, and hands praying and a rosary and just all these Christian tattoos. And, Finally, he puts his book down and he says, are you a Christian? And I said, no, no, I'm not. And he's like, oh, he was really polite. His name was David McKenna. I'll never forget him as long as I live. Um, excuse me. I always get emotional when I think about this because it was really the most amazing experience in my life. Amazing. Um, he says, are you a Christian? And I said, no. And he goes, well, I'm sorry. He goes, I saw you holding that Bible and I thought maybe you were a Christian. And I said, no. He's like, well, I am. He's like, I'm, I'm in here on an old case um, that finally caught up with me, but I've been walking with the Lord for a few years now. And uh, he goes, have you ever heard of people being born again or saved? And I said, yeah, I have. And he goes, do you know anything about any of that? And I said, no. And he's like, would you like to know, you know about that? And I was like, sure. And he, goes, he asked if he could come sit next to me, and he comes and sits on my bunk, and he says, uh, he goes, Jesus comes to a lot of us when we're broken. And he goes, you look broken. And I was, I was just a mess. Just my face was all swollen. And um, he goes, uh, would you like a new life? 
And I said, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, would you like everything to change? Would you like to have joy? Would you like to know peace? And uh, I said, yeah. And he said, well, it's real simple. And he goes, he explained the gospel to me. You know, um, that, you know, I was a sinner, which I knew from reading Psalms and Proverbs. I, I had already known that I wasn't righteous at all and that I had fallen short. And he explained to me, you know, the penalty of my sin, you know, which was death, and uh, that Christ had died for me and for my sin, and through him I could have a new life. And he just asked me, is this something that you would like? And I said, yeah. And he said, it's real simple. He goes, you just have to say this prayer with me. And he's like, if you mean it in your heart, if you're sincere, he goes, your whole life's going to change. Your whole world will change. And he said, is this something that you want? And I said, yes, it is. And it was lights out. It was dark. I don't know what time it was. It was probably 12, 1 o'clock in the morning and um, very dark in the cell. And uh, he asked me to take his hands and repeat this prayer after him. And we said this prayer, and I invited Jesus into my heart, and I'll never forget this. I think about this every single day. This feeling that overcame me um, as we were saying this prayer and I'm holding his hands, it just felt, I could feel like, it's such a hard thing to describe, but it just felt like electric water just filling me up, my whole body. I could feel it. And I remember we were done saying this prayer, and I opened my eyes, and for just a few seconds, my whole cell was just filled with this light. And it was more than just light. It's, it's so hard to describe. And I know it was the Spirit of God. And I saw it. <laughs> and... Uh, I thought that David was still sitting next to me and everything kind of went back to normal. And I look now and David, there's David sitting across from me like, <laughs> just jaw dropped. And he says to me, did you feel something? And I said, yeah. And he just gets up and he grabs me and he squeezes me. He's like, you're saved. And it was the most incredible experience. And I remember waking up that next day, I was a new man. I was a changed man from the inside out. I felt joy in my heart. I felt love. I knew that I was loved. I knew that I had a father in heaven who loved me. Everything changed, just like he promised me it would. And it was incredible. I did another seven and a half months in L.A. County. And it, I, every day God showed himself to me. In, in so many different ways, and the people that he brought into my life, he kept uh, all these like backslidden Christians. One was a youth minister. One was a pastor of a huge church in Burbank. We had these Bible studies, and it was, it was incredible. When they called me for release, where I actually wasn't getting released, I was now getting shipped to Orange County for my second case. I was afraid to leave. I was learning so much um, in jail. Just all I wanted to do was just spend time in my word and I could have done that for the rest of my life. I really could have. I was just, I mean, I just devoured this, this book, God's Word. And what's amazing is I got transferred from L.A. County to Orange County. 
Now, Orange County wanted to give me 12 years in prison. And I didn't care. <laughs> I thought, this is exciting. God is going to use me in prison, and it's going to give me 12 more years to study the word. <laughs> My mom is freaking out. How can you be so happy? And I was. I just, I didn't, I was just going to spend time with Jesus. And uh, it was amazing. The arresting officer, this is a part of the story that I left out. While I was in L.A. County Jail, the arresting officer in that Orange County case, I wanted to get a hold of him because now I was sober, I was saved, and I wanted to let him know that it was because of him that second arrest, which led to me taking a deal and going to jail, had it not been for him, and this is how I was thinking at the time, I would have never got saved. I would have never got sober, and I probably would have been dead. I attempted suicide three different times um, before I even got arrested. I just was so fed up with my life and who I was. Anyway, um, I was able to get a hold of him and just to thank him and told him that I was willing to do whatever Orange County had you know, whatever they were going to offer me, I was willing to do it. And so anyway, when I was up for my, uh, my day of sentencing in Orange County, this man showed up on my behalf and asked to speak with the judge. And he went and spoke with the judge, came back, my, public, or my lawyer um, came back beaming. And she sat down beside me, grabbed my hand, and said, everything's going to be OK. They gave me uh, three years probation. <laughs> on that case. I didn't have to do any time that uh, the arresting officer spoke on my behalf and, and I was delivered from that. And just the things that happened in my life after that are incredible. I can't even tell you. The things that I've done, the places I've gone, I was first made on a, a beautiful yacht on the East Coast and just, I mean, I've had some incredible jobs, met some incredible people. And to be here now <laughs> with the love of my life, with this beautiful body of believers. I mean, if you were to tell me 18 years ago that I would be up here sharing my testimony of God's redeeming qualities, I would have thought you were insane. <laughs> and I've just, I'm so grateful to my father um, for, for all of you. Um, what an amazing God we serve. And uh, thank you so much. Might as well just say a benediction and go home, huh? <laughs> what a glorious uh, testimony. God is no respecter of people. No matter what walk of life we come from, his love is directed toward us. Each of our testimonies is being knit together in a beautiful tapestry, displaying God's love. Stephen, thank you for sharing that testimony there's a picture of a life that's been reclaimed and redeemed from bondage, incarceration here on earth. And that is a beautiful picture that we can be redeemed from bondage and incarceration from the lake of fire. What a glorious testimony, brother. Thank you for sharing that. Well, this has been a gospel weekend, and as our brother Dave shared, uh, there was a lot of uh, wonderful things took place at the street fair yesterday. It does seem as if there was uh, 
a greater willingness to accept the gospel, even if the numbers were down a bit. We did have one young man trust Christ yesterday. Pray for him. His name's Anthony. And just like with our brother Stephen, the Lord worked in miraculous ways to bring Anthony to our booth. He's a security guard at the Metrolink station. He lives in Victorville. He'd been in a road accident. His car was destroyed. He's, he's okay, but he couldn't get home. So he wandered around the street fair and came by our booth, and the Spirit had been working in his heart, and he came to trust Christ. Anthony, pray for him. And as you all know, I'm, I'm absolutely terrible with names. I think her name was Janice, and a lady perhaps my age was there with a, uh, a male friend who was a believer. She's not, and uh, was able to share the gospel. She received it, didn't make a decision, but she was weeping. Janice, pray for her. She needs Christ. We saw many people that uh, were interested in the gospel. Anthony was like ripe fruit. You just barely tickle it and it falls off in your hand. The Lord had been working in his heart. Everybody who contributed any way, shape, or fashion to yesterday's uh, outreach is just as responsible for bringing Anthony to the point where the Lord saved him. And it's the Lord who saves, not us. Well, in keeping with the uh, gospel weekend, I just want to talk about, uh, our brother shared his testimony. What is a testimony? It's we bear witness that God has wrought within us a change of our state. Physically here, bringing somebody out of incarceration. And it's a picture, again, of spiritually bringing us back from the dead. But why do we give a testimony? Well, in part, um, for education. Let's go to a passage in Revelation chapter 20. You know, here at the Bible Chapel, we study the Bible, and we try to cover it all, which means at times we're going to study, we're going to read passages which aren't very encouraging, and that's where we're going today. But it, this is something that is going to happen, and if we know it's going to happen, let's be prepared. Revelation chapter 20, starting with verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from things which were written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, that's not a very encouraging passage, but it's a picture. And I will tell you that every one of us is going to meet God in one of two places. If we meet him at the great white throne, he's the judge at the bench. And we're a guilty convict standing before him. He's just going to pass sentence. But there is an opportunity where God can come down from around behind that bench and come down and put his arm around us. And rather than being a convict, we can be his child. And that's why we give testimonies to bear witness that that's a possibility and to provide hope and encouragement for those who are lost and also to bring joy and remembrance to those of us who are saved. The end result, the means to the end, we want to reflect on who we are and where we are and to act accordingly. If we're not saved, we ought to get saved. And if we are saved, we ought to live a life which bears testimony 
a good witness and brings glory to the name of the one who has saved us. We might ask, is the gospel true? Well, God's word tells us it is, but will we receive it? Habakkuk 2.4 says, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. We talked about that here a couple weeks ago. It really defines whether you're going to accept the word of God. You know, in the first chapter of Isaiah, God talks about ritualistic religion. Starting in the 10th verse, he just rebukes. He says, I'm tired of your sacrifices. I don't even want to see them anymore. Your heart's not in it. It's just this game you're playing. Don't even bring them to me anymore. But at the end of that little portion of that passage, in the 18th verse, he calls out and says, come, let us reason together. Use that brain I gave you. Though your sins are as crimson, they can be white as wool. Though they're as scarlet, they can be white as snow. He offers this hope for a change of our state. God also puts within us uh, conscience and conviction. You know, Ecclesiastes 3.11 said he set eternity in our heart. If you look at the book of Romans, the, the second chapter, talks about Gentiles who did not have the law, yet he put within them conscience. And it's their conscience is either convicting them or justifying them in their deeds. I'm not trying to say you can get saved just by works, but buried within us is this knowledge of good and evil. That's part of what came with the curse and understanding. And oh, we love to, we learn to love evil. Some will claim that we won't receive the, the word of God because it's spiritually discerned, quoting 1 Corinthians 2.14, and natural men cannot receive it. Well, you know, the God of, of heaven, he acknowledges that. He says, yes, in Isaiah 55, my thoughts are not your thoughts. They're higher than your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. But even as I allow the rain and snow to fall upon the hills and the valleys and bring forth abundance, seed for the sower and grain for the baker, so my word will not go out and return again unto me void without accomplishing that which I sent it forth for. What does he send his word forth to accomplish? Well, the bringing in of lost souls, to touch the life of a brother in prison, to touch the life of a, of a widow who's alone. Whatever walk of life we're in, God is reaching out, desiring to draw us to the foot of Calvary, to his son, that we might be saved. We also have the evidence of changed lives. That in concert with the word of God and the conscience within our heart convinces us that the power of God is great. And who's it for? Who's the gospel for? Well, we're actually going to speak on that subject tonight, Lord willing. There are some who say, God's made all decisions already. He's sovereign, and he makes every decision. He chooses who's going to heaven. Oh, and he's choosing who's going to hell. There's nothing you can do about it. That's a lie. If you're struggling with that, come back tonight. We're going to spend some time speaking about it. Well, there are some good and godly men who hold that position. But that's a position which can prevent you from ever coming to fully trust Jesus Christ because you're leaving it all up to God. The opposite end of the spectrum, the Armenian position, they say, no, no, everybody can get saved. And they're right in that. They have some other error. They say, like a fiddler's elbow, in and out, saved, lost, saved, lost. They're wrong on that. The Calvinists, they have that part right for the wrong reason. They say perseverance of the saint. I say no perseverance of God in holding on to me. We're going to talk about that tonight, but the scripture is clear. The gospel is for every man, woman, and child upon the face of the earth.
The scarlet thread of redemption runs from Genesis to Revelation. The desire of God is that all should be saved. Going back to the Old Testament, Ezekiel, in chapter 18 and chapter 33, he goes as far as to say this, As I live, saith the Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why will you die? Turn from your wicked ways and live. 2 Peter 3, 9, near the end of the Bible, he says, I desire that none should perish, that all should come to repentance. The Apostle Paul writing in uh, 1 Timothy 2 says, This is good and well-pleasing to God our Savior, who wills all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. No, there's not just a, a select few. It's every man, woman, and child. We were created that God might demonstrate love to the heavenly host of what the meaning is of forgiveness and love extended to those who don't deserve it. I run into people sometimes that tell me, I want to go to hell so I can be there with all my friends and, and have a good time. Uh, bravado in the face of, of destruction. I, 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 had, I was talking with somebody yesterday at the street fair about that. I said, let me get something. I want to write something down for you. I said, just go read this, this chapter. And I gave him Luke 16. We have the story there that Jesus gives us. And he names one of the participants, Lazarus. I think it's a true story. Certainly, the message within it is true, if you want to argue whether it's a parable or not. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man, he has everything he needs, or so he thinks. Lazarus has nothing. He's a beggar laying at the door of the rich man, begging the scraps that come from the table of the rich man, who's dining sumptuously, partying every night with his friends. The rich man's great wealth concealed his need for a savior, where Lazarus being destitute, laying in the street, begging for food, he knew he was in trouble and looked for salvation. Lazarus was, died and was born by the angels to the place of comfort, and the rich man, finding himself dead also in the place of torment, had full possession of his faculties. He was in torment from the heat. He could see, and he could recognize people he'd never met. He knew who Abraham was. And he didn't want his brothers to come there and party with him. He said, send Lazarus back to warn him. Now, if you're thinking that hell's where you want to be, you don't understand what hell is like. It's that what we discussed in that, that passage in Revelation, the lake of fire. Well, what must we do? It really comes down to this. What will you do with Jesus? He told us, you must be born again. Speaking to Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, he told him twice, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, not understanding, questioning him, you must be born again. If we're born again, we can avoid that judgment we read about in Revelation chapter 20. We've heard that God loves us and wants us to live, but we're faced with this challenge and perhaps this shocking realization, God does not forgive sin. No sin is ever forgiven. The good news is he does forgive sinners. But that sin still must be paid for. He's, a, he's an accountant. He has this record. He knows where all my sins are hidden. Oh, and brothers and sisters, he knows where all your sins are hidden too. And as a perfect accountant, he has a record, and every one of them is going to be paid for. He's not going to ignore it. But he's also a perfectly honest account. And if 
your sin is paid for. He's not going to ask for nor demand nor will he accept a second payment for it. Well, if your sin can be paid for, who pays for it? One of two people. There's only two people who can pay for your sin. You can pay for it. But if you choose to do that, you do it forever in that place we read about in Revelation chapter 20, the lake of fire. The only other person who can pay for your sin is one our brother was bearing testimony to, Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin was made to become our sin that we might become his righteousness in God, as our brother shared this morning at the remembrance meeting. What an unfair trade. God took my sin and gave it to Jesus. And he took the righteousness of Jesus, which I didn't deserve, and gave it to me and gave it to my account. God can look and say, they're paid off. I no longer owe that debt. We look at the book of Romans. We, we call it sometimes the Romans Road to Salvation. It's the, I call it the essential legal document. It defines our relationship to God and tells us how we can become just. Chapters 1 and 2, God says, all men are without, without excuse. He talks about how the Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and to the Gentile. But at the end of that section, he says, but men would rather worship the created thing rather than the, the creator. You know, in Hebrews 3, we're, we're told that the builder of the house is worthy of more honor and glory than the house itself. He's the one who created it. But seeking to worship the things of this world, be they the beauty in the world, the good things, or maybe the things that the lust of the flesh seek after. We're worshiping a created image rather than the, the creator. Why do we do that? Romans tells us because we're all sinners. We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 tells us sort of what the, the effect of sin is. Sin entering the world through one man, and through sin, death, and so death came to all men. Romans 6.23 tells us we have earned death. The wages of sin is death. Again, God's at perfect account, and you're going to get what you've earned. You are going to receive that payment. Oh, but there is a glorious end to, the, uh, to that verse. We can have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord because it's a free gift. We can't earn it. How does God demonstrate love? Well, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. It tells us that Jesus Christ was taken and nailed to the cross because of our sin. Where do you think the tears come from when we, as we did this morning, lead us to Gethsemane? We not forget to the foot of the cross. Oh, gloriously, Jesus Christ is no longer on the cross. He died according to the scripture, was buried and resurrected according to the scripture. Romans 4.25 says he was nailed to the cross because of our sin, but he was resurrected because of our justification. The very next verse we're told, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're no longer under the threat of Revelation chapter 20. The eighth chapter, a glorious chapter, opens with, for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That chapter ends with there's no separation from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. For me, two of the most glorious verses in the Bible are Romans 8, 29 and 30. And it talks about that if, if you've ever been justified, declared just by God, you've also been glorified. The proof that our salvation is forever. It's eternal. How can we obtain this? Well, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 17. Why do we speak and preach the Bible? Why do we go out 
as ambassadors, not preaching our message, but preaching the word of God. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We preach the word of God, and God convicts. How do we get it? Well, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans uh, 10.13. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with the Lord, well, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord, and believe that God raised him from the dead with all your heart, you'll be saved. And that allows God, as it says in Romans 3.26, to be both just, the sins are paid for, and the justifier of the one who has faith in God, one who has faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said in John 5.24, if you hear my words and believe in him who sent me, you'll have everlasting life, will not come into judgment, but have already passed from death unto life, from the lake of fire, to becoming a child of God. As many as received him, Jesus Christ, to them gave he power to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. God comes down from the, the judge's stand and puts his arm around us, his child, his adopted child. We've already mentioned 2 Corinthians 5.21, this unfair trade which takes place. Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and suffered trials and tribulation in the flesh as us yet without sin because he had no sin of his own to pay for. He was available to pay for mine. But he's also fully the son of God. He's infinite, available to pay for the sins of not just me and not just you out here, but of the entire world. It's amazing. But when do we do it? Well, today would be a good day. If you don't know you're going to heaven, don't leave here without at least getting enough information to make it sure. 2 Corinthians 6, 2, he says, now is the day of salvation. The Lord says, at the acceptable time, I listen to you. Now is the appointed day. Now is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Hebrews 9, 27 points out that it's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. We might maybe... In his mercy, God doesn't let us know when we're going to die, but there's an appointment set for each one of us. Tick, 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 tick. That clock's ticking down. How long do we have? I asked a young man yesterday. He said, well, I, I hope to figure it out someday. He said, well, how long are you planning on living? I, I don't know. Well, I don't know either. Why put off until tomorrow what should be taken care of today? You know, receiving eternal life is very simple. Our brother gave a beautiful picture of it. As he pointed out, it's not the prayer. As his friend told him, his friend was David, right, I think. As David told him, if you believe in your heart, it's not the words you say, it's not a rote prayer. It is a recognition that you're lost. It is so simple we tend to disbelieve it, that that could be efficient, efficacious, able to save us. And yet that's all it takes is a broken heart and recognition that you need a Savior. It's a free gift. We can't earn it. You can't get it by religion. Religion just tells you to be a good person, and good persons can't go to heaven. Bad people can go to heaven, but not good people. The simple reason is because there are no good people. They may be good the way we view them, but they're not perfect, and that's what it takes. My imperfection cannot join to God's perfection. It has to be 
swept clean and only the blood of Jesus Christ as we sang this morning. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. If you can admit you're lost and desire to have salvation through Jesus Christ, you can be saved today. God wants you to know these things I've written unto you believe in the name of the Son of God that you may have and may know that you have eternal life. I'm going to sing. I'm going to ask Amy to come up. We're going to sing a hymn, number 348, uh, after I pray. And I'm going to be down here at the front. If you don't know for sure that you're saved, when we're done with the hymn, as we break for the day, come on up and talk to me or Dave, maybe one of the sisters, if, if one of the, the sisters here wants to know how to be saved. Or if you have any other needs for prayer, same thing. Come on up. Let's talk. We're here to share, to bear witness, to bear testimony, to reach out and encourage one another. And we would encourage you, if you don't know Christ as Savior, make sure you know it today. Heavenly Father, we just commit uh, this weekend, we praise you that you allowed us to go out in the power of your spirit and share the gospel as ambassadors, not our words, but yours. We pray that any words that were spoken this morning or yesterday that were not of you would be forgotten. But help those who heard to take it into their heart, to submit themselves to your spirit, and to come to the foot of the cross and to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior recognizing his blood was shed for them, that you raised him up as proof you accepted the sacrifice. Let them also come to the point where they can give testimony of the changed state of being from a convict to a child. We just commit this to you, Father, and seek to go in the blessings that you would pour out upon us today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Again, if you have any question, you know that someday your heart's going to be asking, what will he do with me? If you need Christ as Savior, set aside your pride, come down and speak with one of us. If you need prayer for any other item or, or concern, same thing, come, come down, let's, let's share together. Again, go in the, the blessings of the Lord. Father, again, we thank you. We give praise and glory to your name. Help us today as we go forth that we might be testimony to your love and to the love of Jesus Christ who died that we might be free. In his name, amen.